0: Greetings
1: and welcome everyone to Elm City Lit Fest podcast live. I'm Ife Michelle Gardine, founder of Elm City Lit Fest. Elm City Lit Fest is a celebration of literature, literary arts, and literacy. And literary artists of the African diaspora. So we only do black lit up in here. And with me this evening are my team, Emily Mayo, and Sean Callister. Hey y'all. And this evening we are very, very happy um, and honored to have with us Terrell McRaney. Hey Terrell. How y'all doing? Emily's going to do a little intro. Oh,
2: okay. Well, I will sit quietly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am okay. You don't have to, you can introduce well, yourself to
0: well. I, I was gonna switch it up and have Terrell introduce himself. Just tell us a little bit about your background, what you are doing in New Haven.
2: Uh, my name is Terrell Alvin McCraney. Uh, I am um, uh, an alumni of the Yale School of Drama, which is the first time I can't actually, the first time I ever. Uh, foot strike down in New Haven was <clears throat> interviewing for the Yale School of Drama uh, and a student by the name of Marcus Gardley uh, who was a playwright at the school at the time uh, and another student named Rollin, Rollins, jo- Rollin Jones um, let me stay in his apartment but, uh, and Marcus showed me around New Haven which I was like mystified at and, like what is this place I don't know what's going on um, but brother Marcus was just so kind and really, you know, was like, Hey, you might want to go down here to get a haircut. And, um, um, sadly that place closed down. That was the best place to get a haircut, uh, back then. But that place closed down. I tried to follow that barber. That's a whole other story. I, I, you can tell I miss barbers because I'm like, yo, this pandemic here is, is getting, getting to me. Um, I am from Miami, Florida, and I returned to, um, uh, Yale, uh the School of Drama to be the chair of playwriting in 2015, 2016. Um, and have been there since as the chair of uh, playwriting at the School of Drama. Um what else? I you have did known Emily
1: did a little movie. <laughs> oh yeah. I
2: write yes, I write movies and I write also other things. I um I wrote a mo- I wrote uh, the original uh, uh, screenplay for a play called uh, a script called Moonlight in Moonlight Black Boys Look Blue, which is the basis of Barry Jenkins's Moonlight that became an Academy Award winner in two- was that 2016 too? two thousand seventeen? I don't remember. I was terrified the whole time. And then um, I've written a movie called High Flying Bird, uh, that's starring Audrey Holland, directed by Steven Soderbergh. There's a, a television show called David Makes Man that's on the OWN Network that um, is in its, and we're working on its second season um, that I created. Um, and a plethora of plays, um, notably of which the ones I wrote um, in New Haven were the ending of the trilogy called The Brother-Sister Plays, um, uh, a play called Wig Out, um, and a play uh, called, um, in, in connection with uh, in collaboration with Joe Sutton and uh, Katrine For You, we wrote a play called The Breach, which was about um, Katrina uh, directly after um, Hurricane mm-hmm. Katrina struck New Orleans. Um, and I wrote that actually because Lynn Nottage, who was my teacher at at Yale, uh, was doing the project and was like, don't you wanna do this project? And I was like, okay, sure. <laughs>
1: Wow. opportunities <laughs> abound. Um, We have a mutual friend in Marcus Gardley. Mm-hmm. When Marcus was at the Yale School of Drama, I produced his play, Like Sun Falling from the Mouth. And we did it at the time in the very hot Afro Am Center for a weekend. And then we packed it up and went down to the National Black Theater Festival in Winston-Salem. Yeah. And it was performed. There was a lovely experience for both the the young people because we had all young people from New Haven working on the production side and then drama school students working that performed it and and Marcus um, directed and you know of course wrote it and we had we had a good time um, and I became mm-hmm. and we became really good friends and they they got my wrath because we was like look we had to teach the kids real quick. <laughs> Bring it up and bring it down.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So shout out to Marcus.
2: Shout out to Marcus, man.
1: So when you were here before um, in grad school, did you ever think that you would be back at Yale? That's as like, a good, department
2: like That's a good question. I mean, and I'm screw, screwing up my face like this, uh, as my grandmother would say. Because I don't really know. I mean, I think I, I'll tell you what brought me back, and maybe that'll answer the question, which is um, I realized as I was um, in the world uh, and doing the thing that I was trained to do as a professional, I was kind of killing myself. Mm. Um, doing that thing that often Black artists are asked to do, which is to do everything, um, and then do it perfect, like perfectly all the time, um, and show up, you know, people were always commenting, oh, you show up so early, you're always there. I was like, I'm not, and I would say to people, you know, I'm not really sleeping well, or I'm not really taking care of myself, or I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling to like put my life in a kind of balance with all the stuff that I'm doing. Um, and everybody was like, oh yeah, the life of an artist, that's amazing. And I kept thinking, why the hell keep people keep telling me that this is amazing, I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> like yes, there are things that are great that are happening in the world. You know, I'm there my work is being seen, and and yes, I I am being mostly paid to be an artist, and that's great. Um, I'm not, you know, I I hear you. If I was making, you know, if I be, was becoming a billionaire off of what I was doing, I, I get some of it. But even then, like the is the money worth the kind? I mean, literally, I was going to the doctor every three months or so because. That it's because of exhaustion, and I was killing myself on flights. And anyway, mm-hmm. at some point, I just sort of said to myself, "Where did I learn this? Where did I learn this like really great, quote unquote, great work ethic that starves me as a person but serves me as a as a person in the industry?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "I think I know where. <laughs> I think I know." And I had, and again, I had an amazing. Okay. I had an amazing time at Yale. At, uh, um, in terms of meeting people like Marcus, like Amy Herzog, like my colleagues and people who I work in network, like Brian Tyree Henry, who I work with, continue. Oh
0: yeah.
2: Um, me and Brian went to class and we continue to work together until this day. But I was like, yeah, like I, I think there, I think we can talk about being an artist, being a black artist in ways that are different. And how can I? The only way I can do that instructively is to kind of try to shift a program that really looks, that centers the person, um, as my students say, that centers centers um, the people at the heart of storytelling rather than the the words on the page, right? As long as you turn in that piece of paper, we kind of get, oh, you turn in this paper, bye, right? But it's like, but, but then are we not valuing? And then I thought also like, yo, August was there telling stories all the time. Like that's what August did, August. I, I had I was lucky enough and uh James Bundy made a kind of executive decision to make me August Wilson's assistant um while he was there, while he was at Yale, um, which was the funniest and sort of like haphazardly thing. I mean, you if you know me, you know I'm nobody's assistant. Um, I mean, just should
1: And August those- Wilson was live. Let's let's be real. That that brother Yeah,
2: yeah. no. There there was no I mean, August would be like, hey go set up, and I need a haircut over here, those brothers down there, and I I need to go get my feet worked on, and so you need to make sure that, and I would be like, what? What? What's (laughs) happening? I'm supposed to do that? And this was lost all the time. All the time. So, you know, the scary thing about that was there were no other Black people in the playwriting department at the time, and so it felt like I had to be good at something that I wasn't, even in, even though, you know, because I was like the only, I was the only one and there's Michelle Shea and Felicia Rashad and they're all coming and Anthony Chisholm, God rest him, who just passed away. And um, they they all are coming into the town to see what, you know, how August is being treated. And here I am, terrible. <laughs> just, you know, just. But I, you know, I, I remember just thinking to myself, there's gotta be a better way to you know, what August was giving was given was, yes, the, the, the plays which we have as a part of his legacy, and that was great. But you know the, the time that he took to, I mean, all the artists who came after to the school would be talking about like, you know, August would just sit on the corner and tell us stories for hours. Mm-hmm. And that's a part of the legacy too. That's a part of the community building. Um, mm-hmm. And that wasn't happening inside the playwriting program. We weren't celebrating that portion. Oh my god. Um, mm-hmm. So that I mean that's one of the things that dragged me back.
1: Okay. Cause I, I like I was gonna touch on the 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 sterility of Yale. Cause I, you know, as a native New Havener, I've known a lot of people come through and they're just very unhappy with their experience and how they're treated. And um, and of course, we're not gonna go into my favorite word for Yale but we move along. Um, So what was, and you touched on it a little bit, what was your expectation of coming in to bring in more students of color to make it a better experience for them? Because let's face it, they got dinosaurs, they got dinosaurs in a lot of departments in Yale that feel like they do, when people of color come in, they gotta do them a favor. And if anybody from Yale is listening, I'm willing to do Yale 101 for y'all. Just let me, just let you know. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. You know, I mean, I initially, you know, one of the things, and Emily has probably heard me say this a number of times. I sort of didn't realize how much the kind of stall, the kind of paralyzed or mm-hmm. sterilized, as you said, this kind of would creep into the drama school, drama school always felt like, oh, we had room and innovation, and I and I had to had to compare that to what was actually happening, you know, bureaucratically, right? right. Yes, the students came in with a whole bunch of energy, but the system itself was kind of always moving in a very similar way, right. and a lot of what we had to do was just assess. I had to take a couple L's, a lot of them, and just be like, oh no, you you think you know? I mean, the student. I mean, for example, there were just so many Black women who had gone through the program who just were like, never, I don't, don't talk to me, don't look at me, don't. And I'm thinking, well, if Black women and Indigenous women are the most marginalized in our society, and they're coming through this program and getting wounded, the hell is going on? What are we doing? Like, what's happening? Like, how do we assess this? And I'm not saying that in the four or five years that I've been here that I've I've switched, shifted. But um, not even but one of the things I had to do is have deep conversations with I talk, I mean I would call up Lynn Knowledge and be like, Lynn, what are we doing wrong? Like where how do we do how do we give place, give space, give mentorship, give room for these for, for these women of color, these black women? You know, first of all, I was like, let's stop saying women of color. I just need to stop because I need to talk about black women and, and, and talk about the fact that you know all of the ones that I interviewed and in the alumni were like, well, there's never two of us here at the same time. Which I was like, that's wild. That's wild. What are we doing? What's happening? Um, and then, you know, and so right now, as the, in the program, we have, um, you know, the majority of the students, all of the students in, in the program. program uh oh! Did I go away? Not yet. I'm back. Um, <laughs> the, all the students in the playwriting program um, identify as as people of color. Um, we have four black women in the program, um, and you know, it's just it, it just it's 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 important to me that we continue to look at and listen to them as they process through because. There, this, there are no perfect programs, um, and this, and the systems in place do cause harm, and we have to be, we have to go slow. We have to go slow, um, and when I say go slow, I don't mean go slow in terms of um, what what Nina Simone talked about. Mississippi, goddamn, we we go, we don't go slow when whenever in any time that they raise their hand to suffering, we don't go slow. We go fast. We move to stop it. We. We un we we cannot they cannot afford any suffering in this program um but that means we can't go business as usual that means we can't move at the speed of uh, at what we normally do which is here we just turn them out and that's no we have to, we have to slow that down to see e- oh he
1: froze no, oh, no. <laughs>
3: It was getting good. It was too yeah. much for the internet.
2: Oh, the internet was just like stop.
3: Yeah, it was too powerful. I couldn't take
2: yeah. it. Yeah, but the women, the women we have in our program, they just they're dynamic. They are as they, and they are diverse Black women, right? Like they they don't represent any sort of monolith of what people can even think of when they talk about uh, black women, they, they come from all walks of life. They come from Tanzania, they come from Atlanta, they come from Pittsburgh, they come from um, um, Barbados. They, 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 they are to me, um, rep- what's representative of what we do best in, in theater, which is provide a space for uh, a safest space we can for the, the dangerous dialogue and conversations and stories that we need to hear, right? Stories that are going to uh, challenge us and excite us and make us laugh and make us cry. Um, and we, we, try, we desperately try to center those voices. So, you know, it's, I, def, I definitely won't be a dinosaur in, that, in the program. Like I have a, t- I, think that, I think there should be term limits to people who run programs. Um, just because you can, you know, you, you have to try to go after something, you do as much work as you can, and then you need to move, right? Because the world changes, the world is changing. Um, they, and there needs to be a constant flow of that energy, especially for artists. Like we, it's so interesting in an industry full of artists that people love to say, well, this is the way we normally do it. Okay. (laughs) That's great. It's about creating constantly. What are you talking about? you would be surprised you would be surprised but we're so we're so lo- capitalism has so locked us into a manufacturing mindset um that we we think of ourselves as the conveyor belt rather than you know a cloud and clouds always change you're never going to get the same i mean you need rain but clouds still form in many shapes and ways to give you that same rain mm-hmm.
0: yeah well yeah no i i um as you know I'm uh, working with the theater management firm, and that's something I think about all the time, just like how, you know, how I as a, one, how I as a mentor am, you know, how fast am I moving to spot harm and, and try and get people, people out of that situation into a healing space um, and to just how, you know, everything has to change. Like, it, not, it, we're not, <laughs> I mean, we've been doing this for a while, right? Like, it's there's a system. It, it, it works, but up to a point, because what is that system based out of, you know? Mm-hmm. And when you start to dig into that, that's when it's like, yeah, we need to change because there's some problems here. So I'm totally feeling you on that. Um. So we had AK Payne on the podcast a few weeks ago. Last month, last month. And um, I remember asking her, um, how has her creative process changed both with COVID and the uh, global impact of Black Lives Matter? um, And if it's even possible to create in the same way at this time. Um, Do you have any thoughts on that? How the tw- I, I'm calling them the twin pandemics. How they're affecting your creativity?
2: Well, you know, it's interesting. I think I, I'm very much, you know, I, I call <clears throat> I count myself uh, lucky to um, be a survivor, a survivor of the first ongoing pandemic, which um, which is the AIDS HIV crisis, which is still affecting disproportionately. Um, the Black community, Um, and then to, uh, and in fact, today is my mother's birthday, and she died of AIDS-related complications when I was, um, right before I came to Yale. And um, watching what happened to her, and then I lost her sister uh, this year uh, in May to uh, COVID-19. And that was one of those moments in life Again, it's it's always hard to quantify at the time, but at the same time, there's there's something in the like it, again. It just keeps looking at black women, black women in my life, particularly uh, speak from a place of I, um, who are affected most disproportionately um, by you know things that affect the society, um, but people are sort of like. Um, sort of shrugging their shoulders about it, right? You know, we, by the time I remember Larry Kramer came to uh, New Haven to talk about mm-hmm. the AIDS pandemic. And I just sort of mentioned, like, you know, there are, there are those, you know, he, he was sort of talking about the complacency of folks because of, you know, the retro, the the retroviral drugs and how people weren't paying attention. And I was like, no, there are those of us in communities who are absolutely paying attention and crying out for help, mm-hmm. um, but we don't get seen and, or heard, and he sort of like brushed that aside and God rest him, he was an uh, advocate right. for, but it just, it's sort yeah. of, you know, th- these black women who again, these black men, um, black LGBTQ folks who are dispor- disproportionately affected by um, both pandemics that are still going on, Again, a key, I mean, you know, we have leadership literally saying that, like, oh, well, 90% of people who are affected by COVID 19 survive, and that's great. But, you know, if you look at the 250K who pass away, if you look at all, almost all of the children who've died, um, they all look like us. Right. And that it starts to feel less and less like a mistake, you know? starts to feel less and less and I, again i'm not a con- conspiracy theorist i don't think anybody's going around infecting us specific but we just look at the harms that are happening um to our community and so it just makes me think to myself well there this is now again my charge my job to you know uh, again i wrote moonlight and in moonlight black boys look blue right after my mother passed away and i started writing again uh, you know, right when my aunt left, I just sort of thought you you can't you you can't keep quiet because they will, as Audre Audre Lord says, mm-hmm. um, they will they will they will count your suffering as joy. <laughs> they, will, mm-hmm. they will count your smiling, and they will look at they'll look at your suffering and say it, and look at your pain and say it didn't hurt if you don't say anything. I'm paraphrasing badly, but that sentiment stays with me um, often. And because it, because again, you know, I can mention those things and I have colleagues who are like, nope, didn't lose anybody. You know, I lost the person who was, you know the closest to my mother. Uh, and it was like losing a parent again, <laughs> it was like, but that does, I have friends I, I have colleagues I have friends who, you know, especially in other communities who are like, oh no. I mean, we have people who got sick, but they survived. I'm thinking to myself, that's great. I've been to, I, I, I've heard about and been to a funeral um, you know, since May. Mm-hmm. Every other week, every two weeks. So anyway, um for me that as a person who is, you know, I'm not the new generation, but I, I have to talk about what the generations before endured so that mm-hmm. the new generation had don't think that don't get gaslit, Right. Right. Um, there's a lot of young people, young activists out there who are on the grounds and going. This is crazy. This is wrong. And I just want to say to them, you know, today marks the hundredth anniversary of the massacre in Ak- Ak- a Coe K- in Florida. Uh, today, ma- today is you know the, the, the grounds you're standing on, marching on, protesting on, uh, reaching out on, trying to do your best work on. Um, you know, they are they are they are lined with your blood. They are enriched with your ancestry. There are, and they, and they're there to support you through. And if, if I can help keep them buoyed up with the stories I can tell, that's that's been my charge. I really felt like um, God, the universe has blessed me with a, a chance to continue being uh, of help, and, uh, and that, and in that way, I, I really want to be.
3: And you speak about helping and teaching, I was watching one of your interviews. And after I watched Moonlight, you spoke about patchwork generosity. You spoke about how um, you were learning to ride your bike and then a drug dealer saw you doing it. And then he got up and he helped you. He said, no, that's how you do it like this. And you spoke about, in the movie, Juan was like a father figure to Little and Chiron, but you spoke about your mother's boyfriend, Blue and who kind of stepped in as that father figure. And I was watching this interview you had with BBC and he was like, you know, it was nurturing the a father figure, but he was a drug dealer, but you corrected him and you said, and. And I thought that was powerful because that speaks to the different parts of people. And I'm, I'm from, I'm from to New Jersey. So my teachers have been very untraditional in that manner as well. I've learned several things from folks who may have been trapping or may have been addicted to drugs and society has deemed them as this person who cannot teach you anything. But their circumstances or what someone is doing to survive doesn't necessarily negate the the wisdom that they can teach to someone. So can you speak about that a little bit? About learning from these unlike untraditional teachers?
2: I mean, I think you just did eloquently and probably better than I I would. I mean, I'm about to cry right now. And just, I mean, there. you know, yes, of course, there are moments when you go to, um, you hope and pray, you go to a school like Yale, or you go to an Ivy League school or any university, and you just hope that you get, you know, some te- some teaching and some wisdom. Um, but yeah, if you can't look, I mean, it's one of the things Marcus and I, Marcus Gardley and I used to talk about, which is like, you know, when we go out on the corner and the majority of the people look like us, um, mm-hmm. and, they, and they are suffering, though, that, that suffering is happening. And then you go into class and then you try to talk about how you're gonna try to reach an audience that don't look like you. That's a lesson, that's a lesson right there. You're being taught, those people on the, those corners who are looking for generosity and, and, and are, are teaching you, even now, um, you know, Mother Teresa has said, has a saying that I'm gonna butcher terribly, which is like um, every person you meet every challenge that they bring and each one of them, a Jesus among us, right? Each one of them is a is a teacher. Each one of them has a chance to get us closer to the nurturing of, um, of, and ministry of that good news. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in a neighborhood that I wouldn't have learned the, though I learned these, uh, it's funny because people will say you wrote these plays, you write stories about the about the African efa, you know, where did you study them? Where did you get them? And I was like, well, I grew up around Haitians and Cubans and so <laughs> it's like they they you know, I, my, my my Caribbean background, my black ancestry, my black African American ancestry has those stories embedded in in the stories they tell, in the Zora Neale Hurston stories that are passed down in Florida. On the muck um, that come that have come down through Miami, through farming and labor and um, and labor workers and prison camps, like the stories of Shango and uh, and Ogun and uh, Beiwon Samdi, and you know they are infused in all of the sort of folklore that I grew up in, you know. And so I I learned them. (laughs) I learned them from my people. That's where I learned them from. I learned them from um and again i don't know that they were you know i'm sure there are people who are like well you should have traditionally got it this way It's like yeah i should have but i got it this this is how i got it and i'm excited about that so like you can never you know it you you it it becomes hard to discount those lessons um when walking down the street somebody's passing you on these amazing stories. i mean i remember when i was a kid i could smell the ocean from liberty city Mm -hmm. which is Easily, you know, deeply, not nowhere near nobody's shore. And um, and there was this, you know, there was this uh, uh, Santero who was like, you can smell the ocean, can't you? And I was like, yeah. He was like, that's Yamaya calling you. And I was like, who? But I don't know what that is. Right? So there, there, and again, and again as a curious person, I'm always, I'm, I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I'm gonna find out. Um, and I think I just, you kind of, yeah, like you again, you put it way better than I I'm even doing now. There's just lessons for us in 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 um human and being deeper and more uh aware. And I think the moment we start separating those separating those, right? We start going, Yeah, they taught me how to ride a bike, but they were a drug dealer. Like, what does that <laughs> that don't stop me right. from learning how to ride the bike?
3: <laughs> right.
2: You know what I mean? like what so why, so why separate that? what does that have you know what does that have to do with the kind of that he was still generous enough to to stop doing this thing that even he thought was not good for the community um to do something he thought was good, and can they both exist absolutely and therein is therein is the lesson, such a beautiful lesson of like what as you said, what we do to survive that's indicative of what we're trying, what we're doing to live.
3: Right. And to, right. Dis-
0: and I, and to just, it would be uh, painful would be to be painful discredit. The lessons, we lessons we learned in this non way. I think, I think. Is
3: it yeah. messing yeah. up? Just it yeah. It's cool. Okay. Right. So, yeah, I think to discredit that is to not do it justice. Is to kind of be ungrateful. I think, it's very, we're in a unique situation that in these, in poverty, in oppression that we can still learn from each other and still grow in these. I I think about my life, I wouldn't have wanted any other way. I think about folks who didn't grow up in a, a bustling neighborhood or like a city or a hood, you know, like the suburbs are cool, but it's so, there's so many facades that you got to put on just to maintain that white picket fence, you know, but. That's, that's neither here nor there. But I wanted to ask you about being vulnerable and how was this experience for you? How has this journey been? We don't really speak about vulnerability in black men and especially in our young men. So as um as a man who has grown over time, how has how has vulnerability impacted you and later in your life, how have you made how have you shaped vulnerability so that you control it so that it's not kind of overtaking you, but you're using it to your advantage?
2: Yeah. I mean, well, the first thing I, I teach myself is controlling emotions is kind of, it's like trying to control symptoms. Like if you have a cold, you can take all the medicine you want to stop the sneezing, but you still got a cold. (laughs) <laughs> until your body decides to get rid of said cold. You still got a cold, right? Until, and so the majority of the time, well, and I shouldn't say majority because there was a time that, like you said, early in my time as a, as a young man, I was like, just got to stop feeling sad. Just got to stop. You know, I got to put on armor so nobody can feel, see that I'm actually distraught. And eventually I was like, oh no, this is, I'm, I'm upset. And I don't know why. Let me take a minute to see what the cold is. Let me see what the, well, let me see what the, what, the, what, the, what this is a symptom of, right? I'm emotional because there's a, I'm 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 about to cry because of something. Let me see what that is. Let me stop myself, not, not stop the emotion, not try to control it. Just let me see what the root of it is. And sometimes when you get to that root, you go, oh yeah, shit, shit is bad. I need to cry. <laughs> You know, like the gospel says trouble in my way i gotta cross sometimes sometimes it's all and that's all right like sometimes that and so that to me is is one of those those lessons that i just became you know was there all along but just i didn't i didn't know it um and and to this day that's you know even if i'm anxious i'm anxious why am i an- i'm anxious let me think about it. oh yeah well that that would make a person anxious you, it's okay to be anxious about that then there are moments when you get to something you go, oh. I'm not really anxious. I'm, I'm anxious about that because that's how I would used to feel. I'm a grown person now. Right. And I don't have to worry about that because I can say no. You know, I, I know I can be like or I can walk away. I can take myself out of that situation. And then I feel relieved because I go, oh, I'm grown. But vulnerability has its place. You, you know, vulnerability is the thing that allows us to uh, to connect. You know, it allows us to engage and. If we mask it over in some way and also be able to be wrong. I think people think, you know, I know I've had students in the past who I will say, oh, I I messed up. I'm sorry. That was my fault. I'm sorry. Let me try to rectify that. And they take that as a like, oh, you don't know what you're doing because they've never had a person say I'm sorry to them before. They never had a person say, no, that was my fault. I'm going to fix that. Mm -hmm. All they've had is, well, you, you know, I'm the professor and you get it. You do what I do. Right. I hear the lessons that I learned. I'm sorry, you say you want to say something? No,
1: that what on that on that note that you said that I was gonna ask you what has been what was your experience with working with uh, coming into the drama school at Yale as the chair <laughs> um with um people that may have that mentality because that it, it's an Ivy League university. i worked at two plantations of the of this world, Columbia <laughs> and Yale, and a very similar um, academia creates this, I know it all, I'm telling you, and in, in, even in areas where there is art, it's supposed to be a creative space, it's limiting and, and Black people do not always find support or the support that they need within that um, so how how is, have you dealt with it like from the chair position to the staff in encouraging them to be more supportive of, of the students of, that are black?
2: Well one thing well the first thing is we we, we changed the, what what we've talked about in the interview process. Hmm. I noticed that we I noticed that we, we I mean every student. That has come to our program has been talented. They just have. It's irrefutable. Um, but there are a lot of not nice people in the world. There are a lot of talented, not, nice <laughs> um, not uh, community oriented people in the world. Um, they're not, and if we're going, and if the program boasts, the School of Drama boasts that its main focus is collaboration. Um, you need to bring in people who are community centered, and so a lot of what happens, and I think people get got a lot pissed off when I said this is like, there's a there's our interview process is pretty laxed comparatively,
0: because we do two
2: things: we read for talent, we read the the application, and again, we get a lot of talented folks applying, and that's great, and then we get to these interviews, and in the interview, it's not about the talent anymore. The first thing I ask is, are you ready? do you want to come to uphold and contribute to community learning, to collaboration? And you would be surprised how many people show themselves in that moment. You would be surprised how many people are like, I'm here to get mine. You would be surprised. And, and, and listen, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not the program I run. That's not the program I run. There are many people who and 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 you and it's it's funny. Some people like they can't even hide it. They can't even hide the fact that like, look, I just want the resources so I can get to point A to point B, and I want my next play to be on Broadway seven times. And I'm like, cool, that's great. That is, you know, that's an outcome. That's not the aim of the program. The aim of the program is to is to make a space for those people who have talent and have genuine want to grow their voices and may not have had an opportunity to do that. May had an opportunity to really get in and learn some tools and get some structure around this really powerful voice that they have and, and so that they can walk into their next uh, uh, community, they can walk into their next collaboration with a kind of confidence, right? Kind of, I, I, I've explored my voice. I know what I'm after. I, I'm seeking some big questions. I know who I'm seeking to do that collaboration with, and I know who I want to talk to, right? In that collaboration, and if that is people on Broadway, great. If that's your community in, you know, uh, uh, Peoria, Illinois, that's great too, right? And you have to be able to want you have to want to be in a neighborhood or in a community that has room for all of those folks and is making space for all of those voices. And if you don't, this might not be the program for you. Um, and that kind of ruffled a lot of feathers <laughs> because there were students who were already there who were like, "Nah, we here to I'm here to win." And I was like, "Yeah, cool. Great. And you will win. You're going to win." But when that day comes that you are winning and you don't have anyone to your left or right that feels like community or and and you or you or, you sacrificed, you know, your health and your ability to love yourself or your ability to create loving relationships for that. I want you to remember that I, that I told you to take the time to do that or, or if that's where you want to be in life. Fantastic. But I, I think, I think we can teach. Uh, (laughs) we had a conversation the other day in class about teaching joy. Mm. Um, one of our students brought up the fact that we should, you know, that we need to teach joy. And it shook me because I was like, oh, shit. Am I teaching joy? And we had other students who were like, well, we don't think you can teach joy. I was like, I don't know, because I remember looking at my grandmother getting happy. And I felt like she was teaching me joy. (laughs) Right? I remember looking at my mother turning on a song and lip syncing and then singing to full capacity and pulling us up to dance. I feel like that was teaching joy. Like, I can do that. Mm-hmm. I can I can make myself vulnerable enough to, in my class, teach how it's joyous for me to do this work, where mm-hmm. it's joyous to do this work. That's, and by watching that, students, people can learn, oh, that's that's how he gets joy. Let me find my pathway to joy. I can't teach your joy, but I can show joy. I can teach joy. And I was like, I, I was like, yeah. And so, you know, things like that should some people don't think that belongs in a in a playwriting program. People okay. think I need to be teaching structure, which I do, teach and teaching them like, hey, how do I navigate this con this contract to do why? And I'm like, I do that too. But if I'm not but if the majority of what I'm teaching is that
3: would handicap <laughs> them later on.
2: Maybe or maybe not. Look, I just there's an industry that I want to go into and there's an industry that I don't want to go into. And I fight with the industry that I don't want to go into all the time because they are consistently in my face talking about like, you know, you need to do this. You need to do why. And I'm like, no, are you are you paying me more money than I've ever had? And that will change that will change the trajectory of my entire generational poverty. No. Mm -hmm. Right people think they give you a little check and they're like oh well we just changed your life yeah but i got four generations of poverty behind me you want to get them too you can't cool stop stop fronting right mm-hmm. stop fronting like that check's gonna do it because mm-hmm. i know i got to go home to that <laughs> you don't right mm-hmm. or is is whatever you're as ever you're forcing me to do gonna change the you know the, the the prison industrial complex that is you know locked up most of my family the 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 poverty line that has kept my family in bad health and you know without access if it's not going to do any of that then I actually do have a choice I can say no and stay my my same poor black ass up right so um so the so but I I want an industry where people like A K Payne who is you know an amazing not only just amazing student but amazing collaborator an amazing voice feels like she is creating work that is nurturing her and nurturing the community she wants to be in. That's the industry I want to create. And, you know, there's already that other industry out there. I don't have to do anything to make that. It's there. There's a, you know, there's a whole development structural, but there's a whole other place that's that has either been forgotten or has been neglected that I need to pour into. And So that to me uh, is the more exciting. Again, I'm about innovation. Anyway, I don't been talking, y'all. Y'all. Talking.
1: That's what we here for to, to hear you. That's what we are here for. We this is enriching conversation. We are we are so grateful for this. The um, I, what I what came to mind is um, so how did the Terrell that uh, that was August Wilson's assistant evolve to the Terrell now? Like what what kinds of things kind of happen? A little snippets of what happened to this journey.
2: I went out into the world again, dumb, and just thinking like, "Hey, I did all this great stuff, um, or I'm doing all this great stuff." Here's you know the world I should work in, and I think to me, you know, one of the things that um, that was that was revelatory was I was like, "Oh, I'm getting a lot of these opportunities because if." So, I remember we did a play. We did one of my plays at the cabaret. I'm going to say it's at the cabaret, but I might be wrong, right? Probably was at the cabaret. And August showed up. But August Mm -hmm. didn't just come by itself. He brought James A. Williams. He brought Michelle Shea. He brought Anthony Chisholm. He brought, like, he was like, we all going to see Terrell's play. (laughs) And they all came to see the play. And so you know there are people sitting around who are who I'm like oh these are amazing people and I, and again I love August and August introduced me to some great people but it wasn't just August you know what I mean? he brought his community to my community and when I look back over my life the the little time that I've had and I and I turn around it's actually those connections that or those th- that community that has like. Said something to someone here that got me to a place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, said something to a producer that was like, hey, you should support this person. And then they were like, okay, cool. We're going to write a check for him to do his work at X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. J- James Williams did that for me. Felicia Rashad did that to me for even now. I mean, even now she will show up and just be like, he's amazing. You should do anything. I mean, that it's just you, 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 to me, and And to me, that I'm more interested i'm I'm grateful for all the things that that led me to. It also led me to be in front of some you know in some white environments that were just not good for me and that I couldn't sustain. like I just couldn't sustain. And that's the thing that I try to talk about, which is sustainability. I could do it for a year or two or for three but there was just co- the constant harm that kept coming in. I was going to leave with more, I, I wake up, I have more sleepless nights about those years between 2007 and 2016, seven, um, that when I was doing, I mean, there are just so many, so many, so many. I mean, I don't even talk about them, but they just, they, they wake me up at night from the actors who would go to uh, artistic directors because I didn't know what I was doing to, um to artistic directors who were telling me, look, we only hired you because, you know, you black and we need the black spot. You know what I mean? Like the the kind of just denigrating of voice. And I kept being like, well, this, I know this isn't what they signed me up for. And why aren't I just constant like I want to be around those people all the time. Where, where, where can I go and be around the people who just, we want to engage? And so eventually I got to a point where I started just pulling my people to me. I was just like, oh, hey, I know, you know, Andre Holland and I started working together in 2007, 2008. And I was like, hey, fam, don't go nowhere. I know you're busy, but I'm going to call on you 70 more times. <laughs> you know, um, the, sa- the same thing with Brian, with Brian Tyree Henry. I was like, hey, man, um, I know you got things. To do. You, yes, go be on Atlanta. Also, come hang out with me. I'm going to have something for you to do. You know what I mean? Sterling Brown, the same thing. John Hill, um, you know, Alana Arenas we just start kimberly uh a bear we just kept. Mm-hmm. you, you kind of keep just pulling people like Marcus Gardley, Marcus, and I are finally getting to write stuff together, you know that's the other thing you'd be like you be like, hey, how come you can't write with the other talented black men that you know like how come how come that never happens and it's like this weird thing, and we've been like and i I would go to and be like, hey, you know he's and I'm can we be in a room and write together? And they'd be like, well, it just never happened. It's like they think you like you put us in a room, things would explode or something like that. it's like a physics law. These two black objects can't occupy the same black space at the same black time. That's crazy. <laughs> um and I think it's just wild to me. Um it seems it seems revelatory to other people, but I just I'm I'm at a point where I'm sort of gap. I keep gap, I'm calling in. I'm just like, hey, how can I be supportive? How can I make more space for us? Even if it's small, even if it's just a week or two, you know, we get together and we read a play together. How do we? What does that do? People don't recognize that even that has an enriching, enriching. It's a nurturing. It's nutrients for us, and it gives us the strength to kind of be out in the in the wild uh, a little longer. Um, so that's the that's the real shift that's happened. I no longer I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go do this show at the. I'm like, hey, yeah, that's cool. Is that gonna leave scars? Because <laughs> I don't want it if it is.
3: <laughs> I love that. I love how you are evaluating the cost. Like folks are giving offers, but what is this gonna take from me? What is this like? This check looks great. But what is this going to take from me emotionally, spiritually? What am I going to have to give up? And can I sleep at night knowing that I did that? And I I love that. You're bringing in folks who were left out. You're redefining what they think. Who can write with who? Like, There's not one seat at the table. There's several seats. There are chairs. People make chairs. You can bring your own chair. You can make your own table.
2: (laughs) The table don't even have to be elevated. Word. Like, have you ever... I mean, picnics picnic tables, fam. You or you can split a spread a blanket on the floor.
3: That's a table. Grandma's pallets at the house. Like yeah. you Let's eat. Everybody pick a cover. Okay. <laughs> Another thing that's not really shown is intimacy. And Moonlight showed a lot of intimacy amongst black men. Like even when little was still little and his homeboy helped him out. And they were like, it is like, why are you letting them pick on you? And it was like, I don't know. It's like, you got to show you niggas you ain't soft. I know you not soft, but you got to show them you not soft. And then when he, when Sharon got to high school and the whole experience at the beach, and then when he got older and Kevin cooked for him, there's a lot of body language and intimacy. And there's a lot of body language in moonlight. You could see, yes, Black had this, this masculine facade, you know, he had the, the, the grills, he had the car, but if you constantly looked in his eyes throughout the movie, you can see who he really was and how he really was feeling. So can you kind of shed some light on the importance of intimacy and how, I'm not a Black man, but how Black men can navigate that and not to be ashamed of intimacy. Everyone deserves intimacy and what it may look like for them.
2: I mean, it goes back to I think it was your question about vulnerability. I mean, it's just you. I mean, one of the reasons why you know, and Barry, we have to you know shout out Barry Scorpio season, Barry Jenkins Scorpio. Um, you know his ama- his his eye, his amazing ability to capture um, and cast that that movie along with Yessie uh, Ramirez. When they you know when they cast Trevante, he didn't actually was like he wasn't looking for an exterior that represented masculinity. But Trevante has that thing that you talk about, which is like, there's a, you look in his eyes and like, you can see there's something wanting calling in there. Um, and he, and Barry and I had talked maybe two years prior. And one of the things that he even talks about now is that I can be very walled off. Like I, if you meet me, I'm very shy. If I'm not talking about art, if you see me walking down the street and you be like, hey, Terrell, I'll be like, what, what you want? Hey, hey, how you doing, you know? Um, and that's from, you know, it's, again, talking about years and years of just looking out for people trying to come at you all kinds of ways, right? So you build a facade. Sometimes you build a facade that's grills and a big white tee. Sometimes it's muscles. Sometimes it's, um, and particularly dark-skinned uh, uh, Black men are asked to masculate. Which I don't know if it's a word, but they are asked to facade in a way to 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 ward people off, and then you spend the rest of your life wondering why the intimacy you seek is never there. Um, and I find, um, you know, I find that there that past sex, or even before it, or wherever outside of sex, there's a there is an intimacy that we all want and need. Um, And 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 that to me is is just always, you know, it's it's interesting the ways in which our society, which is a map, you know, about manufacturing, like the ways in which you have to kind that I mean, again, count it all joy for black people, because we (laughs) we have we have so many blocks in front of us, but we find these ways of being connected together that are so profound and like and sometimes so simple, but sometimes they go around. They go around things, right? You ever seen black men compliment each other? Oh, I see you, fam. No, nah, that's you, big man. Like, what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> we got oh, language. We got it's language. language. Or it's language. Like a it's
2: like, just say you look good. You can't say you look good. Nah, I can't do that because society tell me it ain't going to do right. But I am you, I see you, fell. You got a big man. Oh, nah, you see it? Hey, man, I'm trying to be like you. I'm just trying to be like you, big dog. I'm like, what? And yet, you know, those are the most tender... People keep that with themselves. They hold that with themselves, and so I'm I'm always interested in, in the ways in which we 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 are trying to stay connected, um, though we are told and and taught to stay apart.
0: Uh want we'll to go back to uh, your time at YSD with um, August Wilson, and also you know renowned director Lloyd Richards, um, and. Um, I think I remember you telling a story about when August Wilson sent you to the mall. <laughs> Did yeah.
2: He didn't send me to the mall. He sent me the Best Buy. <laughs> <laughs> I was so pissed. Did you
0: tell me that story? Tell us that of story.
2: Sure. sure. Of course. Um, yeah. It's one of my favorite stories to tell. So again, I was a very bad assistant to the late, great August Wilson. Um, Narda Alcorn, who is our now, who is now uh, chair of, of stage management here at at YSD, um, was the stage manager for Radio Golf. She can attest that I was really bad as an assistant. Like, I just wouldn't, I just wasn't good. <clears throat> but either way, August would call with these kind of weird demands all the time, and I'd be like, "What? What, is he <laughs> what does he want? Like, what does he know? I have class and school, like." I'm here for school. Like I have class. I'm tired. Anyway, he he texted me one day. And he was like, "Hey, I want you to. Uh, I need you to go get a gift for my daughter. It's her birthday. I need you to go buy an iPad, an iPod. And this is when iPods mm-hmm. had just come out. So, the nearest Apple Man. Store is in Purchase, New York. Like we didn't have one in New Haven at the time. So I was like, I, I don't, and I don't drive. So I was like, I'm not going to purchase to get no damn. iPad. So I was like, "Where can I get one?" And I found out that, that they had them at Best Buy, and I was like, "Cool." So I like, I was like, "Hey, um, I don't know if you understand." And this is before um, the playwriting de- the the playwriting um, department at Yale is fully it's sti- stipend is a stipend program now, but that's because when I was there, it was not stipend and I ain't never have no money. So I was like, "Sir, I don't know if you think you're gonna reimburse me, but I don't have no money to be buying nobody's." <laughs> so I- iPod i mean they were expensive back then they would cost as much as a as an iPhone so mm-hmm. i was like i don't i don't got it I remember this is 20 this is 2006
0: 2000,
2: 2005 right mm-hmm. yeah. so he's like yeah yeah just but he was like okay well I'll, I'll, I'll meet you somewhere so i met him at uh atticus or something and he hands me this envelope full of 20s that's like 500 dollars and i was like sir <laughs> I don't know if they cost that much, but also you gave me an envelope full of money. Like, what am I? Are you trying to rob? Get me robbed? Am I being set up? What is happening here? But
1: that was August Wilson. That's how he was. He was just and, like,
2: I, I love. I listen. I love that man. I really did. And he, he he knew how to get on my nerves. <laughs> I was like, I, he again, amazing. So I went to get this damn iPod and I go to Best Buy and I was like, look, give me the best iPod that you have with all. And the dude was like, are you sure? I was like, yep, the most expensive with all, 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 all the insurance, the, the buyback, rebate, the whatever, put it on if He was like, okay. And I was like, cool, bless. So I got this big ass iPod and I'm like, "Cool, I'm now late for I had my one of my friends drive me to Best Buy in Orange and like we got the thing, we came back and I went to August and he was in rehearsal. and I just put it on. I was like, "Here."
1: I got to go to class. I, yeah, so I
2: I have class now that I'm late for. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so I went to and so I went to class and he texts me again. He's like, "I need to see you. Something's not right." And I was like, "What the oh. <laughs> How you broke the iPod? That fast, fam? He's like, I just gave it to you. You didn't even, you didn't even have to take it out the box. Like, just leave it as Oh God! So then we go to we go to Book Trader, and he's sitting outside in the cold, smoking. And I'm thinking to myself, sir, <laughs> like you out here smoking? <laughs> it's, shit. I'm, it's cold. I'm from Florida. This is weather. I don't know how this. Went. And he he sits me down, and you know he. He you know August is talking and smoking at the same time he's like hey uh you, I, you got a lot of uh you got a lot of you got a lot of uh, uh heart in your work, and you know sometimes you blow up things when you don't have to, and uh, you know you, you don't that y'all like to blow things up and I'm like, where's this going what's happening and he's like, but you always need you got music in your work and you always need music in your work so here's your iPod, and he gives me the iPod that I just bought, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my God." You just made me buy my own iPod. <laughs> and I looked inside, and there's all these people who are, all his cast, they're laughing at me because I'm sitting here holding this thing. And I'm like crying because I'm like, I didn't, I mean, I didn't have any musical have- like apparatus. And I was just like, he was like, you always, and then he sent me like all this music from the Gullah Islands, from the Bahamas. He's like, these are your people. You need to tell their story. And I'm just sitting here like,
0: what the hell?
2: Mm. So. um. Yeah, I had that iPod through until I graduated and then I went to Sundance and it died. That was like it it like I I'd, I'd run it out and I remember putting it in like a cement case and I buried it in the river at Sundance cuz I was like I know August would have loved this place, like a place for writers oh, yeah. that would be and I buried it there. I mean, I don't know if that was biodegradably right, but that's what I did. Uh, <laughs> I tried I cemented it though, but I I put it down there like cuz but that yeah I remember
0: that. Chance yeah, to go. What yeah. a
1: beautiful story! Thank
0: you for telling
1: that story. Thank
0: you I'm for sharing
1: that. Um, in in that light, and as we are winding down, um, what would be your advice that you would give to playwrights coming up that may want to apply to Yale program or any other program in a white space? <laughs> where they may not have as much support mm-hmm. or see people like them. They are gonna be a fly in the buttermilk, let's face it, sometimes.
2: Yeah, I, listen, I mean, I think it's always important to know, I, I find that students who know what that they're coming to build themselves in order to build further something they've already started, do better. Um, um, students who sort of come hoping that they're going to be built into something is, is, is usually find it harder but I find my students who go no I, I know I have a community that I love that I want to be a part of um, or this is a community that I want to grow with um, that they, they always because they have a purpose and a goal it feels um, it's easier for them to help to navigate those programs so um, find a mentor. Find a voice. Find an anchor that you can keep talking to and keep in dialogue with to check that that check your heart, check your growth, and um, you know. I think that I think that I think that's how you will you will prosper or be successful.
1: Terrell, amazing! Much appreciation, bro, for oh. this. Much appreciate. We're looking forward to whatever you have coming out.
2: Oh thank y'all please invite me back. I would love to come back and hear y'all talk more about other things. So
1: okay, we can talk about the plantation of Yale all day. Right, You're yeah. here, here for it. I'm still trying to get them to do, I, like listen, somebody listening, I will do New Haven 101. I set that up. They okay. need to have they need to have a somebody that's real doing New Haven 101. Mm-hmm. Not somebody that's yeah. to tell you. Stay outside the bubble of the people that are helping you in the bubble.
2: Oh, for sure. You
1: know. but at any rate, this
2: has been amazing. I'm
1: we got to so check cool.
3: out. We're going a lot over here. Like,
2: all right, but we we about to over. I think our rent. I think our rents up. So
0: <laughs> it's <laughs> worth Thank it.
1: It's so worth much. it. I this appreciate it. Rough. So, from as uh, this is Ife from Elm City Lit Fest. And, and Emily and Shaw and our guest, Terrell McCraney, we are going to say goodnight, everyone, and thank you for joining in. We got a few comments in the Facebook chat. And um, we appreciate everyone. And we look forward to more Black Lit. All thank the time.
0: you.
1: Bye. Thank you.